We've been on a journey through the story. If you're here for the first time, we're going to give you a copy of that today. We're in week 22, and the story is a fantastic chronological telling of God with man from Genesis through Revelation. And we just wrapped up the Old Testament part of the story. And God uh, just spoke. We just saw Nehemiah rebuild the wall. And we're coming now out of what's called the silent years, 400 years where we didn't hear from God in a new revelation. Jerusalem uh, um, was, uh, there, was a sh- there was a brief time for Jerusalem where there was the, the Maccabean rebellion and they were, they were uh, autonomous for a little while and then Rome came in and just, just took over. And so they've been hanging out, holding on to the promises of God that someday there's going to be a Messiah. Someday there's going to be a breakthrough. And God, our Father, comes on the scene. How many of you know that we need God to come on the scene? And God does. He's been faithful. As we've seen through this story, he's been faithful to his word. He's been faithful to a people who don't even pay attention to him anymore. He's been faithful when we've been rebellious. He's been faithful when we've been stubborn. He has been faithful. And he is keeping his promise, not because anybody earned it, not because anybody deserves it, but because he loves us and because he loves Israel And through Israel, he knows he wants to redeem all of us because he loves all of us. And oftentimes, we've seen again and again and again, and I I want you to catch this. What we see again and again, I'm sure you guys are probably discovering it in a fresh light. Jason's done such a phenomenal job pointing it out, and, and I've echoed the same. That these heroes of the Bible are not people who did everything necessarily amazingly well, although they've had some fantastic high points. The heroes of the Bible are people who believed God. And that is why they are heroes. They, not everybody had perfect uh, reputation. Not everybody acted righteously in every situation. In fact, I don't think we have a single story of a single human being who did everything right. If that were the case, then that would mean that our hope is in legalism and in rule keeping and in if we can just save ourselves really by doing everything right. That would be what the gospel is about. But that's not what the gospel is about. The gospel is about this father Daddy God, who created everything, and when we turned against him and wanted to do it our own way and in our own time, we were tempted by the enemy. There is an enemy when Satan comes and says, is he really good? I mean, should we really have to do it his way? And we go, yeah, should we have to do it his way? And, and, and we turn, we do our own thing, and that father doesn't turn around and say, well, then I hate you, and you're out, because I'm holy, and you're lame. Go, I don't even care. No, he says, you're still my kid. And I'm going to work out a way to redeem you. But I'm going to do it in such a way that it still comes from the character of who I am. Because how many of you know God is holy? And therefore, his redemption plan is going to be holy. He's not going to lower the standard and just say, oh, well, I'll just give you a pass. No, no, no. He's not going to violate what is good and right. He's going to fulfill what is good and right. And he's going to bring mercy. You guys with me? And this is what we've been experiencing. I mean, that's why we're sitting here right now. But I just wanted wanted to sort of build that backdrop. Here's this good dad. This good dad, and now for ages and generations, we've been waiting. We've been waiting since Adam and Eve when they, when they turned against God and sinned and brought death and disease and destruction into the world. And God has been waiting, and he's been making promises, and he's been prophesying, and he's been speaking, and he's been sending the prophets, and he's shown us through Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that he's faithful in Joseph and Esther and Gideon and all of them. And here we are now, and God, it says, in the fullness of times, 
this started happening. First John, or John chapter 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become children of God. Say that, children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Dear ones, we, I've been hanging out with Ed on Wednesday nights. Dear ones, I've never said that before. It felt kind of good. All right. Anyway, we are children of God. We're born of God. Come on. We are children of God. This is why this is good news. He's a good dad, and we get to be his children if we will believe simply that he is a good dad. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right. So here's how it went down. Here's how it happened. God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, you have found favor with God, and you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you're to call him Jesus. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm still a virgin? And the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, here's, this is an amazing account. Think about this for just a second. God sends the angel Gabriel to give Mary a message because God is about to fulfill his rescue mission of all mankind. And the first thing that he needs is a surrogate mother. He needs someone. He needs to go find a human being who will say, yes, Father God, I will help you with your child. Here's a Selah. Now, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine what that sounded like to the world today? That would be on the Inquirer. Jesus' face found on toast at the Denny's. And everybody's like, oh, yeah, that happened. Sure, of course. Yeah, Jesus was eating toast and his face got on it. Now it heals people. Yeah, Mary, you're pregnant by God. Mary had to become willing to be identified with the illegitimacy of Christ. Now, we know that God, that Christ is God's legitimate son, but Mary had to be willing to walk with the shame of mystery. Are you guys with me? And then here's Joseph coming into the story. It says, uh, let's see, yeah, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had come with a mind to divorce her, but he was going to do it quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, 
Don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Such a good word. (laughs) All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's my favorite name. How many of you that's got one of you've got your favorite names of God? Come on, he has all those, you know, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I can't think of any others at the moment because I'm drawing a blank. But I really like Emmanuel, God with us. I should like Yahashua since that's my name, which is God saves. But I really like Emmanuel because he saved me and he's with me. So here he is. God's with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. And he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So he abstained from sleeping with his wife until after Jesus was born. Joseph made the decision in light of what the father, the father, say father. Okay, our father asked Joseph and Mary to do something. And in this moment, Joseph made the decision that he and Mary would become foster parents to God's child. Now, this was not without some problems. (laughs) This was not without a cost. Isn't this amazing to think about the fact that God's rescue plan for all of mankind, number one, involved us. He didn't circumvent allowing us the honor, say that honor, the honor to get to be a part of that plan. And he comes and he finds a willing righteous woman and a willing righteous man who will help him with the plan to redeem all of mankind. And he says, here's the thing. It's going to start out with a little baby. And Mary, I need to know if you'd be willing to carry my child for me. You notice that God didn't say, and this will be your child. He said, this will be my son, and you will name him this name, and he will do these things. Mary, are you willing to do that? Mary, are you willing to, to, to carry the son of God as a child and to raise him up open-handed? And are you willing that, that this whole time, though you will love him and he will be a son to you, but first and foremost, he's a son to me? And Mary says, Lord, be it unto me as you say, I will do that. And he also goes to Joseph, and he says, Joseph, this is something that I'm doing. Now, you guys realize that Joseph could have chosen to ignore that dream. How many of you have ever heard the voice of the Lord, not audibly, but you knew you heard God? Well, actually, first of all, how many of you heard him audibly? Anybody? A couple of you. Keep your hands up. Keep your hands up. Look around the room, guys. These guys have all heard the Lord audibly at one point in their life. Isn't that neat? Come on. I've never got to do that yet. But I think that's a testimony for all of us that God is speaking. However, usually he doesn't speak audibly. But how many of us have heard him? A couple of you audibly. But heard him one way or another. And then you're like, yeah, I ain't doing that. (laughs) Come on, seriously, raise your hand. I mean, I I have. I, I know, right? All of us, truthfully, we're like, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. That sounds terrible. That's a bad idea, Lord. Surely you don't want that for me. You want me to be blessed and avoid pain, most importantly. So we've all been that way. And Joseph could have done the same thing. Joseph could have said, Lord, this is too hard. 
This is crazy. People are going to think I'm a complete idiot to marry a woman who is apparently pregnant of the Lord. <laughs> I mean, you, you realize this. This is a massive deal. I'm going to have to be known as someone who's connected to a crisis. I'm going to have to be connected to something that I can't explain all the different parts of. This is going to cost me something. But no, Joseph decided I'm going to do this. And Joseph became probably one of the most famous foster dads ever. Come on. And so he does. Now, then everything went amazingly well, and it was super easy. And now, yeah, you guys have read ahead, so you know that didn't happen at all. So there's some major things that happen right away, and I, I have to, let me, let me go through them just to give you a couple of examples. So first of all, it says, uh, oh, okay. Oh, that was a good point, but I'm, I'm, I can't give it to you. Anyway, there were some shepherds, and God told them about it when Jesus was born, because he always starts with good news with the poor, the downcast, the captive, the broken, the addicted, the marginalized. They always get the good news first, because that's part of God's redemption plan. I got it in. Okay. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I'm bringing you good news. And he says, today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He's the Messiah. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. And so the poor people, the shepherds, were the first ones to get to hear about Jesus being born. Jesus' heart is always with the place of greatest brokenness and humility and need. And if we, it's a, in the Bible it says a broken and a contrite heart is acceptable to the Lord. And the reason why is because a broken and a contrite heart is receptive to the Lord. He's waiting to hear you call out, Daddy. And he's there so fast because the truth is he never left. You just weren't asking for him yet. He's so merciful. There's so many holes you almost fell in that he, he's like, I can't, I can't let this happen. Anyway. All right. So they're growing up. So they're growing up. First thing that happens, by the way, is this is ridiculously uh, inconvenient for Mary and Joseph. Their life was going pretty good. Joseph had this really cool, righteous lady. They were going to get married. It was going to be awesome. He was a carpenter. And then God shows up and says, could you foster this kid for me? And they're like, okay, yeah, yeah, all right, we'll do that. And then he's like, okay, great. And then immediately there's a census. And then there's no room at the inn. And then they have to have the baby and put it in a manger. And then shepherds show up. And then wise men show up and give them some money. That was kind of nice. And then Herod was like, I'm going to kill you. And they were like, ah, and they ran to Egypt. And they lived in Egypt for a long time. And then they come back. And then there's another bad situation because another king is there and they're freaked out and he gets warned in a dream and they go somewhere else and then we skip we don't get to find out what happens for the next 12 years or in those I'm sorry for the next 10 years or so but we know this happened every year they would go into Jerusalem for uh, for the festival and they leave and they assume because they're all traveling as a family that Jesus is with them and so after a day's journey can you imagine walking for a day and then you're like, hey, seriously, though, uh, Elizabeth, have you seen Jesus? No, I thought he was with you. No, I haven't seen him. Oh, okay. Joseph, have you seen Jesus? Well, no, I thought he was with Elizabeth. No, I just talked to Elizabeth. Oh, uh, does Zachariah know where she is? No, I was just with Zachariah. So he hasn't seen him either. I'm like, we lost God's son. <laughs> Like, oh no, you know, like we, we had one job. <laughs> we had one job. We lost the Savior. He came to save that which was lost, and we lost that which will save. And so they're probably booking it back 
you know, to Jerusalem. And, and seriously, at that point, too, I can imagine, because it says they waited three days. Can you imagine Joseph? He's like, Father in heaven, please, first of all, please, I'm sorry. And then secondly, come on, make with the dreams. Where is he? Like, you gave me dreams at other important times. Anyway, all we know is that after three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And Jesus says, well, why were you searching for me? <laughs> Twelve-year-olds. <laughs> I bet he rolled his eyes, too. Because Jesus was Jesus, but he was 12. He's like... Didn't you know I had to be, like, in my father's house? Anyway, so I know we have a very romantic picture of Jesus as a perfect child. Yeah, right. He didn't even tell mom and dad that he's back doing the father's business. I'm telling you, I think this might have been zeal without wisdom. I'll ask you later. But he was 12. He was a real child. I want you to get this. He was a real child, a real one, not a fake one, not a pretend one, one with real issues and things that needed to be learned and diapers that needed to be changed. I don't think he popped out of Mary without the pain of childbirth. I think it was very painful, you know, childbirth. And so when God said, will you foster my son, these parents stepped into it and said, yes, we want to be a part of your redemption plan. And I tell you the truth, that redemption plan hasn't changed. God is still saying to us, will you foster my children? Will you care for my children? But here's the thing. It's not going to be easy, and it's not going to be convenient. And you're not going to get goosebumps and sunshine every moment while you do it. Because you know what? They're real children. They're real ones. You know, how many of you, <laughs> how many of you have had the pleasure of cleaning up a poop landscape on your wall? Remember when your toddler learned to paint? Yeah, a couple of you, right? Yeah, wasn't that great? It was like, yay, I'm raising God's kids. That was horrible. It was a horrible experience. You seriously, you're like scandalized and shocked and a little proud. You're like, I think, I think we have an artist here, actually. I mean, like two years old, but that looks, I mean, that is Sistine Chapel quality. All right. Perhaps I digress. <laughs> Somebody threw down a yes. Do you have kids? No. <laughs> oh, you do. <laughs> you got like seven of them. Okay, we're good. All right. So here's the point. Jesus is telling them, my father has a plan for me as well. So he's 12. This is real. This is happening. They're engaging at this point. This is real life happening. But also at this point, they're coming face to face with the fact that God has asked them to foster his child. And although they get to be a mom and a dad, they're not the dad. They're not the mom. This is God's child. And Jesus is answering, saying, did you not know I would be in my father's house? And it says Mary treasured that in her heart. And they move on. And we know that then God, he, uh, Jesus, grows up into a man, and he begins his ministry. And I just want to, I'm going to give you just a couple of points here that I want you to think about as we continue to move forward together as the priesthood of believers establishing and continuing in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Let's talk about that ministry. It says, while Jesus was still, was still talking to the crowd, so he's an adult at this point, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him, and someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. And he replied to them, who's my mother and who are my brothers? Is that not the worst thing you've ever heard? I mean, hello, did you hear all the trouble that these foster care parents went through? 
to raise this young man? And this is his response? Oh, no, that's not, I'm, I'm doing something else right now. Well, it would seem as a degrading and devaluing statement, except for that Jesus is actually commissioning us in this statement. And he wasn't dishonoring his mother. We know that actually God honored Mary, and we get to hear about her faithfulness, that she was willing to believe God to carry a child as the only immaculate conception in all of history, which, by the way, is a pretty high price to pay to be the mother of God because nobody believes you until, like, way later after you're dead. And even now, it still comes up, we found Jesus and his wife, and we found, you know, I mean, it's just, that's the, I'm, I digress, continue. He replied to him, who's my mother and who are my brothers? Pointing to his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I'm going to keep going, and then I'm going to connect this all together. James 1.27 says this, Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and keep oneself from being polluted by the world. I got ahead of myself with my notes, but I did a really good job following them, I promise. You see, Jesus had a unique perspective to bring to the earth. He's been on the receiving end of pure and faultless religion, and he calls us to it. Jesus, when he's speaking to them, he says, My mother and my brothers and my sisters are those who obey my commandments, because I'm here to redeem the whole earth. And when you obey my commandments and you enter into the same ministry that I'm called to, which is to redeem the whole earth, unto what? Unto being adopted by my Father. Why? Because everyone has been orphaned by sin and death. And I'm here to gather children, orphans, sons and daughters that don't know it yet, and see them reconciled with the Father. And how does that happen? I'm asking you to go on my behalf and care for the widows and the orphans. And if you do this, you'll know that you actually have a religion that's working. And if you don't do it, then you know that you won't. And he, he's pretty intense about this, by the way. It says, then the king, this is at the end, Jesus is speaking, and he says, and then the king will say to those on his right, this is at the very end, he says, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I needed clothes, you clothed me. I was sick, you looked after me. I was in prison, you came to visit me. And they will say, when did, these ha- when did we do these things? When did these things happen? And Jesus says to them in that day, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. You see, when Joseph and Mary chose to take care of Jesus, they actually did it for Jesus and they did it for the Father. But Jesus tells us this is the whole ministry plan. You're going to engage in the places of greatest need on my behalf because my father wants to adopt every single orphan in the earth. And by the way, you don't need to be in foster care to be an orphan. If you're not reunited with Christ yet, you are an orphan. You don't understand that you have a dad that that not only will do everything for you, but did do everything for you and is still seeking you. And he sent us as the bride to go on his behalf and say, I will meet you in your place of greatest need. I will actually meet you. I will meet your actual needs. Mary and Joseph didn't didn't go to Jesus and say, be warm and well fed. May the Lord bless you. Bye. They raised him. 
They took the time. And then they had to be opened enough, open-handed enough to put Jesus into the Father's hands. For those of us on a very real level that God's calling into being a foster care parent here, and we're believing that this year we'll see five foster care families come online. And right now we have three that are coming online. So there's two more of you that the Lord's speaking to right now, I'm sure. And hopefully, hopefully there's seven more of you that the Lord's speaking to right now. Because there's a very real need. This is the very real need of this time. And Jesus says, this is pure and faultless religion. Care for the widows and the orphans. Engage in this place of need. It will be inconvenient. It will be expensive. At the end, you'll have to give them back, most likely, to a different parent. And ultimately, how many of you know with your own uh, blood kids, your own uh, or adopted children, at the end of the day, no matter what, whether they came to you by adoption, whether they came to you by, by birth and blood, whether they came to you through foster care, no, it doesn't matter. You have to actually let them go at some point into the Father's hands. So every single one of us can identify with this. I pray oftentimes, and by the way, this is a sweet technique as a parent, when uh, my beautiful princesses, which do no wrong, do wrong, uh, then I say to the Lord, Lord God in heaven, these are your kids. <laughs> like, these are your kids. I know that they're yours, and you gave them to me, and you entrusted them to me to raise them up, but you need to give me some insight, because this little chucklehead is driving me crazy right now, and I don't know what to do. So will you help me? And he always helps me. But I'm just telling you, it's a great fallback. Like, this ain't even my kid, Lord. This is your kid. This, I know you're the one that made them. You let me have the, quote, honor at this moment. Anyway, but I'm just telling you, that's a sweet technique, and it really does actually put your heart in the right place to realize, oh, wait a minute. It's twofold. Number one, thank God that you're in the mix, Jesus. Thank God that you're in the mix, Dad. Thank you, God. That's amazing. And it also goes, oh, I'm raising Dad's kids. <laughs> okay. So that kind of puts the fear of God in me a little bit, too. Like, I'm suddenly very receptive, Lord. How would you like me to raise your kid? So it starts out flippant, ends with repentance, and comes up with wisdom. It's, it's a surefire Make a t-shirt. It's going to work. It's going to work. But here's the thing. Every single one of us, every single one of us is truly called to this redemption plan, to engage with this earth in this day, at this time, with these resources for this father, because this father is looking to see every single person encounter his love. And there are different points of engagement to do that. Every one of us is not called to become an actual foster care parent, but many of us are. Every one of us is not called to adopt a child, but many of us are. But together, all of us can do something. See, we can't all do everything, but all together we can do something, and then everything will be cared for. And that's why we're doing these things. That's why with these welcome boxes, and we're willing to meet these guys in their place of need. I want to bring a little bit of clarity to, to why, we're, why we're not going to write Christian um, language in these cards. It's because we're engaging with people who don't follow Christ yet. And so if we, if we try to communicate through Christian language, you know, look, I'm doing this because Jesus loves you, that is beautiful, and that is why you're doing it. And the reason why you're doing it is enough. It gets you started in encouraging somebody. How many of you know that encouragement is a kingdom concept? See, that belongs to the Lord. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Lord. So this is going to speak of the goodness of God and the fact that we're not saying, look, I'll either give one of these gift boxes and it's going to have the Lord's prayer in it or I'm not giving it. 
that's, that's kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Like, I will only encourage a child if in that one encounter I have the opportunity to mention Jesus' name. Why? Why? See, we're looking at the long game here. What we want to do is continue to engage with many other brothers and sisters who are caring for the people of greatest need in our community. And we've got to communicate in a message that they can receive where they don't see us as basically coming to get some market share for Jesus. Because that is a message that unintentionally gets sent. We're not ashamed of Jesus, guys. That's why we're here. And if you become a foster care parent, they're not, they have no problem with you being a, a Christian. We just have to be statesmen in the way that we communicate. Because mo- many of these people don't understand the gospel yet. And saying, you know, God loves you or, or tossing these things in, it means a whole lot of different things to different people than what it means to us. So let's build equity and encouragement. That's, that's why that's there. Does that make sense to you guys? Okay, so we're not ashamed of Jesus. We just want to go serve on his behalf to the point where people go, why do you do what you do? And the Bible says, actually, they'll see your good works and give glory to your Father who's in heaven. It doesn't say anything in that particular scripture that they will hear your good words or read your good notes and give glory to God. It says they will see your good works. And so this is a good works project. We're not ashamed of the gospel. We're not becoming seeker-friendly. We're not going to back up from being proud of our Father. But this is an area where we need to serve with wisdom and grace. Okay, does that make sense? All right, so here we go. And I love this last scripture. He says, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. And truly I tell you, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to the Messiah will certainly not lose the reward. God keeps tracks of cups of cold water if it's given in his name, if it's given in in service of those that serve him. He, he is, there is a reward for each of us in what we're doing. And the point of all this is that Jesus understands what it is to be a foster kid. He understands what it is to be completely dependent upon followers of Christ in order to be taken care of. And he was absolutely and totally dependent upon someone taking care of him. And then he turns around and says, so my father in heaven has done with each of you. And as you engage in my ministry, I'm asking you to do the same thing. So what do you think? Shall we? Shall we? Here's what we, here's what we have. Every one of us are called to the ministry of reconciliation. It is not easy. It is not convenient. It will cost us. It is the service of the gospel. It is the evidence of our faith. And together, we can foster all of our father's kids and trust him to help us give all the opportunity to see our father's love. And hopefully, they will choose to become adopted just as we have. Let us all be Mary's and Joseph's. Amen? Amen. All right, so here's what we have for an action step. First of all, if you don't know this Jesus Christ, if you don't know this dad, if he has not yet become a father to you, if this sounds amazing, but it's distant, today is the day that Jesus wants to close that distance between you. He wants to take that distance away, and you can become adopted as a son or a daughter. And we want to make room for that today. We want to make room for that today. So let's just stand together. We're going to pray together before I release you. And as I release you, I want to ask 
that every single one of us, I mean, truly, every single one of us would go back and that we would, that we would, we would fill out a card and buy a box. We'd cover that today. Can we cover that today? That's what I'm believing for. I think we can cover that today. And next week, we'll be able to deliver the encouragement of Christ to these kids and to these workers. All right, but before we do that, we're going to pray together. And I'm going to give you just a moment to think about this before you repeat it, because it's not just a magic incantation. It's a beginning of relationship. It's an introduction with this good dad. And so, Father in heaven, I believe you sent Jesus. And I believe that Jesus' life demonstrates what kind of a dad you are. I believe he is your son. Him coming and dying proves that you love me. And that he loves me. That he would rather die than see me die. And that because he lives, I can live. I have chosen my own way. I've tried to do things my own way. I've tried to be my own savior and fix myself. And I admit it's not working. So I quit. Please forgive me for trying to lower your standards or trying to fix everything myself. I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of your glory. And I repent. Please forgive me. Come into my life, Lord. It's no longer my life, Lord. I belong to you. Teach me your ways. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And I will follow you. I will obey you. I will learn about you all of my life. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you prayed that for the very first time, come talk to me. I'm going to be at this back table. I'm going to give you a big hug unless you don't like to be hugged. I'm going to give you a Bible unless you already have one, and then I'm still going to give you one. And if you're here for the first time, please let me give you a free copy of the story. The table is back here. Nikita and Carly are back there, and I want to encourage everyone to go buy a card and a coffee, coffee gift certificate and a box, and let's bless kids. And for those of you that God is moving on your heart to become foster care families, please speak with Carly and Nikita, who are both doing that, Josh and uh, or their husbands, Josh, as well. So God bless you.